Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me Jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. Hi everyone, thank you for coming to the show. Kindly allow me to introduce my guest for today, Jaya or Dr. Jayaratnam Pillay. Jaya is the Chief Innovation and Data Science Officer. He has run his own technology startup company and consultancy firm offering regional experience in providing analytical and data science work for companies and government agency in the likes of United Nations, Asia Development Bank, you know, and also particularly specializing in developing strategic decisions using economics, data analytics, and artificial intelligence. Jaya has done over 20 analytics-related projects and widely published papers in economic policy, digital transformation, and entrepreneurship, while working and living in 11 international cities. He has expert-level advisory experience in deploying end-to-end data engineering and data systems. In addition, he has obtained his PhD in economics from the Australian National University. Let's put our hands to welcome Jaya. Thank you very much, Andrew, for having me part of your podcast. It's such a pleasant surprise. I'm pretty good. Okay, so the purpose of this podcast is to really understand topics in AI or artificial intelligence, understand digital transformation, and also understand about your story. Tell me, how do you get here from the day that you did your startup after you finished school? Uh, It's an interesting story behind it. While being the youngest scholar to work as a research fellow for the economics department in ANU, is that I was not able to get back into Singapore considering the fact that they did not recognize the, the, the importance I could be bringing back as an international candidate and as local Singaporean. Why am I not able to get back to Singapore and contribute to my own home country? Uh, that frustration and led me to really push myself at the same time, know that I could be one day back to Singapore and have a startup. Very deeply involved in researching on video gaming, where I was some lead researcher in a government uh, uh, report. And since minting my PhD, it was very interesting how my journey towards thinking about my first startup and and India made the big calling where I was actually invited to be the chair professor of entrepreneurship at the IIM, Indian Institute of Management. Like meeting one of the in, most interesting pathways I could ever get it. So what happened is that 
that experience got me to actually look at technology innovation at the grassroots level. I started to learn from how people thought at the grassroots levels. The low and indigenous and middle income households were struggling, but at the same time were able to actually develop ideas at that grassroots level. And that gave me a lot more strength, a lot more ideal economic aspects of how innovation actually can actually be strongly imbibed in a country which is so contagious on entrepreneurship uh, capacities. So, and coincidentally, I was invited back to Singapore to, as a director of economic research to develop a digital platform office for a large shipping conglomerate based out of China and Hong Kong. It, it gave me the impetus to continue learning. I actually was leading a, a, a two major database administrators in this company to develop a so-called back-end uh, analysis of shipping projects, actually, what you call pricing of ships, how shifting from a single hull to a double hull shipping uh, scenarios were based on the future of shipping the line. So that were and how you know different form of cargoes were shifting. So what happened is that such information was available, or what was lacking was someone to put together such information, putting it in a form which is easily identifiable, easily able to use it to develop some form of analysis and forecasting. So this was very strong on my part. Uh, it kind of like gave me a strong background. Also, once completing this, what happened is that that's when in 2009, immediately I used these skill sets to actually go about setting up my own company. So in between, I had to actually continue to work for other companies as project engineers, developing and using uh, skill sets in the area of AI, AI in terms how production uh, of engineering projects were from documents all the way to the final delivery of projects. So there were several areas where I kind of got my hands dirty, but all was simply because now I am the chief digital officer for how I came about. It requires a lot more understanding as opposed to just jumping up to a position where you don't know what's happening in the background. I, I got through that background. Hence, when I am sitting in my situation, I know how the cross-functional actions are undertaking in different areas of job responsibilities of people. So when I hire, when I actually teach, when I actually lead different projects, what happens is I'm able to understand the various platforms and at the same time, educate and learn from it for myself so that I can better. So knowing the fact that, uh, you know, I worked in uh, areas of shipping and then shifting to engineering mode. But what is interesting is that to get these projects running, you need good skilled people to understand drawings, good skilled people who are able to handle drawings and able to learn from it and able to transmit documentation in a more seamless way. And this is where my first foray into digitization of documents, how such platform allowed me to create some form of transformation from tendering the project and one of the biggest clients which I handled was GE Synecdoche, New York. Fees had to be paid. Although they are a big Australian company, they had a lot of issues in different projects. Although, and delay in projects. So what happened when I went in was within three months, I started to de deal with three different companies, uh, three different divisions in China, India and Singapore, where I was the lead project document guy who actually dealt with how documents have to be accepted from tender process, 
how they have to be placed digitally in the system, how pricing has to be placed according to the projects, how these projects are documented, and how they lead to the actual engineers who actually come up with the plans, and to the part where it gets to the factory and people are able to understand those documents with the least amount of error. Prior to that, these uh, projects allowed a lot of errors in the documentation process. Hence, projects got delayed, delivery got delayed. I went and understudied the factory in person over a 32-week period project, completed every avenue and rearranged the process in order to cut from a 32-week project process to a 28-week project process. And it's all to do with my application in, in an AI and machine learning methodology. I was able to forecast what are the issues going to be in terms of delivery times. I was able to clearly highlight the, the issues in the pricing of products. All this was automated in the system. Work with me true that uh, the moment you finish this project and you present it to your client and stakeholders, what was their response, you know? The first thing they asked me, where did you guide this? Where did you get this guy? In the history of five years of being a customer for this particular company, they say they have never finished a 32-week or 48-week project, which was 100 to 500 million dollars skid production in 28 weeks. To my, for one project, they were actually able to save almost 150 to 200 million dollars on courses. They were able to actually garner more projects consistently from the same customer over a period of six months. So every time a particular project comes in, all other vendors will lose out to this particular company simply because they know the process was very automated, very clear, seamless, ability to com communicate with the engineers and the document controllers were very seamless and that's across three divisions. So what happened is that they were very happy. Now coming back to this second question that I want to ask you, because you have been doing so many digital strategy work or machine learning work or you know data science or analytics works you know before and after COVID-19 so how has COVID-19 changed the way that digital transformation or data science is being done if there's any lingering doubts about the necessity of digital transformation to business longevity but in a contactless world this is going to have a ma major disruption in the way customers and employees are actually interacting uh, with rare exception operating digitally is the only way now we can do it through mandated shutdowns and restricted activity so going digital definitely is a must you can't be leaving it in the in the dark at all so what we are looking at is prior to the pandemic the paradigm shift was digitization servitization right it's a very key word because everything is service you can have some kind of uh, product, but the service to it is very crucial. So servitization of the economy was already underway, but in a very slow pattern, slow trend. But this pandemic has definitely given a huge kick in the butt. That's what I would say, right? So it accelerated and you can see the, 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 the huge jump from point A to point say E in, in quick succession. Right. Simply, I can give you an, a, another example. When it comes to vaccination, it takes any bio company, vaccination company to produce a particular vaccine over a period of five to six years, even 10 years. But you are looking at some form of 
amazing uh, run of succession where these companies are doing it within few months right so it just gets to show that how companies can actually transform their processes and services to the community and to businesses in such quick transformation is simply because of adopting a consistent policies and effort towards digitization right um for for instance for businesses on the other hand which have not developed any strategies or uh, but executed them prior to the pandemic are now in a position to actually leapfrog uh against their competitors who seem to kind of lay back simply because they think they have already done it but i I've, what in my personal experience i can clearly say that there is no longer sitting on the on the laurels and hoping everything will get be back to normal no we are going to live with this for a long long time so right? what is the advice you give to those business that is very reluctant you know to embrace digital transformation they have to quickly really understand a few key factors right a remote work to through my readings and research i could say before the pandemic only 30% of the us employees worked remotely 100% of the time for others 70% including 38% of the total us uh workforce right but the silver lining is that such high percentage of the working population now are remote why this because of the shutdown the mandated shutdown so remote work has jumped in heaps and bounds uh remote collaboration right has has clearly indicated this is the way the future of work right both in terms of sophistication of tools to adopt it and facilitate its workers to level of comfort it has next is the omni channel commerce as many physical business locations are shut down consumers are turning to online shopping to meet their needs now this is where businesses have to be in the forefront uh, if they actually don't actually understand that this is the way the next generation of uh, shopping is going to lead then they are out of the market right mm. um but those who had historically been reluctant to do so in particular grocery delivery services such as instacart points and even here we have redmart in singapore have been in high demand so consumers who can choose groceries pay online leave feedback actually creates a opportunity for the next generation of business models right how mm. do we service consumers purchasing is one thing but if you cannot provide good service they they lose out on the profit channels right so businesses are blending the physical and digital divide to provide the customers to delivery methods very crucial right how are they doing that are they doing it a lot more safely or they don't even have contactless delivery again they lose out on the market if they don't that right mm. due to the corona pandemic so physical digital integration is more important than now than ever the next is actually the digital content consumption most will love to go watch cinemas mostly love to be out in human interaction but in this pandemic that is markedly reduced right so homebound consumers are turning to digital content pretty much for the entertainment needs 51% of internet users worldwide are watching more showing more shows on streaming services so for yeah. instance in the first 3 months of 2020 netflix saw 16 million new signups it's amazing how digital content consumption has jumped from minimum of 10 15% to almost 60 70% and anywhere in businesses right 
Next, platformication. What I mean by platformication? Institutions and organizations of all types are trying to, they are trying on digital platforms to stay above water. Like the digital uh, consumption mode, they also have to do exercises. That means they have to perform uh, aerobics activities through online activities for those who are shut down and locked at home, right? So this requires some form of good platforms, right? Pre-recorded. Similarly, schools, everyone is actually working through a certain platform. So now this is where businesses, guys who are actually dealing with platform development have to closely monitor platform vacation, I would say, right? Which means entire processes are now going to digitally through a specific platform. And one of the greatest examples is Zoom. Why I bring in Zoom is because I was a lead guy who actually introduced Zoom to Kyrgyzstan's Ministry of Education. But the key advice, a key spotlight I like to highlight along all these channels is that there are five main things in my mind I can think. Mm. Efficiency advantage, very efficient. Productivity, right? Productivity. Because if you take for a, a simple worker traveling from home to uh, where he works and get back, you know, a person's traveling time itself has lost. Now they don't have to, right? So uh -huh. they can increase their productivity from walking out of their bed, having a shirt on without any heavy long pants, and sitting down and immediately responding to emails and having meetings. But coming back to productivity, uh, don't you think that there's this technology paradox? Yes, because of COVID-19, everybody works remote. If there is possible to remote, and I'm not talking about frontline, uh, it brings us closer, but it also brings us further because, you know, back in the office, you can talk to your co co-workers on, on the drinking cooler machine or the coffee machine. Now you can't, and everything, everybody you want to talk to, you have to schedule on a look or a Google calendar. What do you have to say about that? I mean, as I said, the, the actual pandemic actually prevented everyone to communicate face to face. That means we are human beings. Human beings need facial contact. Human beings like touch feeling. Unfortunately, this is one of the paradox uh, paradigm we are looking at. That is the lack of human face to face interaction, right? But the good sign of it is that the increase in productivity due to this is actually improving business structures, business uh, profits. But at the same time, the feel-good factor of being able to go back uh, on a staggered basis is actually improving workers' expectations too. So they, you, you're not going to get a full 100% facial interaction even in this current uh, era. So I feel while it's a paradox, slowly what's happening is that people are psychologically accepting the fact that it's going to be an on and off scenario ah. and hence they are kind of like worked into it right ah. and this kind of like elevates some of their worries of not being able to be in office all the time right what is going to happen is that staggered timing is where they're going to have some interaction this allows more a bit more comfort a lot more relaxed version of their uh, uh, working habits and hence there is going to be a balance eventually Hi guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. If this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, please share it with your friends, family and acquaintances. See you later and see you soon.